Out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where me and my illustrious co-host, we gather around a table and we discuss the films that you'll never discuss, ever, in a film studies course. Uh, this week's film in question is Clueless. No, it is not a biography of the George W. Bush administration. Rather, it is a uh, teenage love story with Alicia Silverstone, and uh, we're going to have a good time talking about that. Let's go ahead and identify the disembodied voices speaking to you uh, directly to your brain through your podcasting device. Who are you, sir? My name is Dalton Stewart, the illustrious co-host previously mentioned, and you cannot tell me what to do. You're just a virgin who can't drive. Uh, that is absolutely true. I am both a virgin and I cannot drive. <laughs> Those are just That's a mean thing to say to a 15-year-old. I walked here, obviously, 30 miles, and I do not actually have two children. Um, nope. So immac- nope. it's immaculate conception. You don't, you, don't you don't have two children. It never happened. Those are myth. I have never seen them. <laughs> You can't prove they exist. <laughs> That's not fair. I have seen them. You can't prove they exist, though. You can't prove they're mine? You can't prove they exist. We need Maury. I we can't need... prove you exist. That's true. We're all... Now I'm getting real weird with it. Yeah, you. Jeremy Bentham just raised his ugly head in the podcast. Who, uh, who, who dat? Who dat? Uh, who dat? I don't know who that is. He's a philosopher. And of we're course all, We're is. all a dream in the mind of God. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, I know who that is. Never mind. <laughs> uh, my name is Dustin Sells. And Dalton, I've repeatedly asked you not to call me woman. Re- woman, woman, let me five dollars. <laughs> Repeatedly, I, I have know. chosen to believe that Don Faison's character in Clueless is the same character he plays on Scrubs. Okay. <laughs> Okay, maybe so. That's probably where he ends up. Um, now, to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. This is an analysis show. What we do here at the Good Trash Genre Cast is we apply film theory. That's right. We do hardcore analysis on the films that don't make their way into a film studies course. Uh, Clueless being, I think, a good example of that kind of movie. Recently, our run has been pretty good about making sure we stick to movies that are really not going to find their way. Yeah, no, we, we've uh, that's something that we've tried to commit ourselves to doing this year. And um, I, I feel like... With the exception of a few um, so long farewell feels and goodbyes uh, at the top with uh, like Wolf Wall Street, yeah, I can see that making into a Scorsese class. But uh, we've had a good point. I mean, what we just did Point Break and Running Man, and mm-hmm. uh, we actually had another um, action movie on deck. And I, I called an audible and was like, "No, we gotta we gotta mix this up a little bit." Yeah, we gotta move on a little bit. Um, I don't actually know what we're doing next, Dalton. Is that a secret? Do you have that? I, Wait, hold it and reveal it if you've got it. Okay. Do you do have it? I will. You okay? Yeah. Fair, or, or we'll roll the machine on air. Okay, that'll be fun too. That, that will be fun. Now, again, to warn you, dear listener, though, um, as such, as an analysis show, that does mean that we don't, you know, uh, we don't bow down to the rules that uh, oftentimes review podcasts and review shows and film reviews you might read on the internet might do, in which they avoid spoilers. We are going to talk about who ends up with who. We're going to talk about what happens to major characters. Uh, we are we're going to do the, the the thing that they try to avoid, which is spoil. We are going to also assume that you have, if not just watched the movie, at least have some passing understanding of Clueless. So there's probably going to be some. We're just going to jump around a lot. It might not make sense to if you haven't seen Clueless before. So um, you might want to go watch it before we, you sit down to listen to this. You yeah. don't have to. 
but it would be helpful probably. It would be it would be useful. Although I think the enjoyment will still be present with uh, with a lack of familiarity, or it's been you know a couple decades like it was for me before I watched Clueless uh, since you'd seen the show. So in order to sort of give you an idea of where the spoilers might happen, this is this is our preamble that we always give every week at the Good Trash Honor Cast. We will begin with a uh, synopsis from the voice of the Dalton Theater. Um, that's right, Dalton Stewart himself will try to do that that trailer guy voice and tell you about the movie Clueless, which will be even more funny since it's not an action movie. And then we will do our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which will indeed be spoiler free. Then we'll move into our gameplay, which will involve mild spoilers of the film in question, perhaps, and possibly also of other films that we might name while we play our game. Then once we get down to business, dear listener, that's when the spoiler bets are off. You have been warned. So without further ado, um, Mr. Dalton Stewart, voice of the Dalton Theater. Let's hear that synopsis now. A rich high school student tries to boost a new pupil's popularity, but reckons with affairs of the heart getting in the way. Written and directed by Amy Eckerling. Uh, that's right. There, there is a there is an aspect in which this could find its way into film study syllabus, insofar as it's a female directed film. Yeah, and uh, you know, women in film is becoming more and more important, which is great. It was always important, but yeah, we're talking about it. More. The emphasis is there now. There we go. Is what I should say. Yes, indeed. And so Amy Heckerling is doing some good work here. Uh, she was uh, working on Fast Times at Ridgemont High, probably most famously. And so you know, she's done some work and continues to do some work. She's a producer on the Clueless TV series, but I don't know what her actual involvement was insofar. As, that's just a good way to get a paycheck. Yeah, no, your show gets adapted into. Uh, I, I mean, uh, here's a great one. I'm in the middle of a Buffy rewatch right now. The, uh, the 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 person that directed Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the film, is credited uh, along with one of his, uh, I believe, a relative. I don't know the relationship there, but uh, they're both credited as EPs on every episode. A couple, I can't think of the name, um, but they're credited as EPs on every episode and never touched. They were never on set a single day. They were never in the room. They just because they were producers on the original film, they get paid every single episode. So, yeah, that is a great way to get some money. Young filmmakers, residuals is where it's at. That's what I want to tell you right now. That's a lesson to be learned. But no further ado on this. Let's talk about what we think of Clueless. Dalton, quick, thumbs up, thumbs down review. What do you think of the film from 1995, Clueless? Well, spoilers ahoy. Uh, I know you didn't actually really enjoy this movie upon rewatch. So I'm going to go ahead and be softer to it. Um, It's kind of boring. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I realized while I was watching this, I don't think I've ever seen Clueless all the way through. Which, as somebody who grew up in the 90s, is kind of weird. Um, I know I've seen it, like, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I don't think I've even seen, like, you know, with a lot of movies that were on basic cable a lot, I've seen them all the way through in chunks. I don't think I've got that for Clueless. I think, I mean, there were, I remembered moments, I remembered the freeway, uh, scene, I remembered, you know, certain lines and stuff. Uh, I didn't remember Jeremy Sisto at all. I'd forgotten he was in this movie. Uh, obviously I, I remembered Sweet Baby Rudd. Um, here, here's what I, I will start with. Um, Alicia Silverstone is fantastic in this movie she has uh tons of charisma and i dustin's making a face at me right now which i think that probably explains why that he didn't go for it at all um is if if you don't find alicia silverstone to be a compelling presence on screen in this film like i did i i thought she she's absolutely great uh and the whole time i was watching it i was like why did she not become a huge star because i i think she's got a a lot of screen presence in this film and i I like her a lot as Cher. I, i think she's really great um I think Brittany Murphy is great, and you can see why this movie kind of launched her into popular consciousness. Uh, honestly, made me really miss her uh, a lot yeah. as a performer while I was watching this because she's really great in this movie. Um, 
Brecken Myers, who would go on, who's gone on to do a lot of work with Seth Green on Robot Chicken, is in this, and I, I love he's such a sweetheart in this movie. Every I love everything I've ever seen him in. I, I just like him a lot as an actor. And again, we've already mentioned Paul Rudd, uh, Donald Faison, who you know is most well known for Scrubs, as we mentioned. Uh, I, I like the whole cast. I really, Dan Hiata. Dan Hiata. Uh, Dad. Dad. Yeah, I, he's a very prominent character actor. I didn't know his name. Thank he's you for fun. That. He's he's fun in this. I I like the whole cast. Again, I, I think everybody's a ton of fun. Um, Dustin and I were kind of debating about this, um, and he, he, he went ahead and gave a, gave this as a off air. We were talking about this. I think the film is really kind of ahead of its time, uh, socially speaking and not as informally really. I mean, it's not doing anything inventive with that, uh, aspect of things, but I think, uh, in terms of engaging with things, we've got, um, a, a gay character that nobody has a disparaging thing to say about, which I think is interesting. Um, again, just because it's 1995. Yes, there's a use of the R word. Um, I mean, there's things like that. There are very much uh, time capsule issues, uh, culturally speaking. But I think for 1995, uh, a movie to be made, again, that's about a bunch of shitty rich people, uh, is still fairly kind socially, which I, I think is nice, uh, racially and uh, gender-wise and sexual sexuality-wise. I, I think those are all those are all nice things, and I think that those go to show like or speak to uh, Clueless's continued value as a cult movie. Um, I, I think the ability of something to age well is always going to have an aspect of, of whether or not something you know has a continued following. Does it age well? Because there are plenty of movies that don't age well that I, that I love that I've gone back and watched and go, oh dear God, this is really troubling and very problematic. And I don't, I don't really think Clueless has that, which I, I think is just is nice. It's nice to go. I mean, we talked about this when we watched uh, The Running Man last week. There's a lot of kind of troubling shit in that movie, and I don't. Uh, Clueless doesn't have that problem. And again, it's you know almost ten years later, but still, I, I think that speaks to uh, Heckerling as a filmmaker and her her empathy for characters. And I, I think that's that's nice. Um, it's kind of disjointed um, as a film. There's a lot of plot threads that just kind of go nowhere. It's very vignette-y um, in a way that is kind of boring. Um, again, I, I get why people like it so much. I get why it has continued to resonate with people that are about five to ten years older than me. Um, you know, people who were teenagers when this movie came out. I was a, a wee babe. Um, I, I had barely learned to walk uh, when this film came out. Um, I, I think I was starting to understand the alphabet. Probably couldn't tie my own shoes, though. Um, yeah, I, I, it doesn't. I, I get the references because I was around for those things. Like I, I get the the Mentos and the Ren and Stimpy. Like I understand the, the cultural references. Some of them do have not aged well. There's um, there's some pop culture references that are just. The idea of somebody blowing off steam by going to see the new Christian Slater is just <laughs> baffling to think about. It's just it, – it, it baffles the mind. Um, so, again, it's nice in that regard as a time capsule. I think overall, again, I see why it continues to resonate with people. It, it didn't really work for me. I didn't, I didn't dislike it by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't hate it, but I, I, you could hardly – I don't want to rewatch Clueless anytime soon, I guess, is the nicest way to put it. Fair enough. Now, Dalton, see, here's the thing. I was a teenager. As you were uh, alive and you were a child of the 90s, I was coming of age in the 90s. Yeah, no, my and, coming of age happened, um, you know, during the worst time to come of age, and, and, probably yeah. since the 19, late 1960s. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I win. <laughs> <laughs> you, came, you came of age in a time of prosperity. I came of age in a time of existential ennui. Yes, indeed. And, well, now I mean, I, there's a bit of that going on for me as well, but nonetheless. Um, That's, that, and when, I, again, I, for our newer listeners, Dustin. 36 i'm 26 so yeah. we're very close in age 
but just far enough apart that we do have some different reactions to certain things culturally. And, and when I saw, first saw the movie, I believe I saw it in theaters. I believe I saw it in rotation thereafter. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, I really found myself sort of trying to find a way to identify with Paul Rudd's character, you know, and... Uh, I still do. Uh, yeah. I, that was the one thing that I remembered watching this was like, oh, I remember really relating to Paul Rudd the last time I watched part of this movie. Yeah. And, and, you know, that idealistic phase. I'm like, you don't have to quit. You can always be idealistic. You know, these are the thoughts I'm having as I'm watching it. But yeah. really, truly, though, I, I'm not I'm not impressed with anything in the movie. As you said, it is quite slow and boring. It's vignette It is uh, leaves a lot of threads hanging. The, a lot of jokes don't land. The, lo- the jokes don't land. Um, line delivery is terrible. Even Paul Rudd, where he says, oh, no, you're making me blush. And it's like, it's the worst. It, so it's, it's like his last two scenes are the first time he feels like Paul Rudd in the entire movie. Yeah. And you're like, oh, there's Paul Rudd. Yeah. That, oh, oh, there's someone I actually care about. When, he, when he's got that cute little stutter going when they're sitting at the top of the stairs. I'm like, there's Paul. Yeah. There he is. Yeah, and, and then that's not so bad. But also, uh, you know, even uh, Alicia Silverstone's performance, and uh, along with all the other, um, you know, sort of girls uh, that are there uh, in, in, the, in the film, they, they, they drop the pop culture lingo, and it doesn't feel right coming out of their mouths. You know, when – Which when is weird. I'm Audi. They were all like – uh, 18 yeah. uh, when they made this movie so it is kind of weird but their their as if delivery is is really pretty grating it's really pretty frustrating oh you're so wrong you're so wrong about the as if no it's Lucy not Silverstone's as if is fucking priceless no I didn't you're so wrong no okay and also she's doing a great Meg Ryan impersonation with the close ups but she's not actually playing oh that's so mean but is she not no she totally is she's, no she's totally playing a teenage Meg Ryan <sighs> with her face with wait, watch her facial expression i would do a side by side of any contemporary uh you know uh, and again she's older meg ryan is uh rom-com with tom hanks and look at the facial expressions and you see exactly what uh leisha's going for and uh, now she's i mean and i like her generally but not so much in this and i think she develops and grows a little bit as an actress um the little bit of time that she has a career after this before she goes into just making lifetime movies yeah um, i really want another story there like i, don't know. I, I want i want the e true the yeah the vh1 true hollywood story or is it e? who i can't remember they don't do those anymore i want the true hollywood story of alicia silverstone though because like yeah. there seems to be a really weird dead spot in her career and i want to know what happened i mean it's probably the same thing that happened to all women in hollywood right they got yeah. older yeah uh, they, which is you know, bullshit. There's just no work for them anymore. Yeah, yeah that's a real bummer. That makes me sad to talk about. It is sad, but I know she's got some more acting chops, and I'll talk more about those and non. But okay. o- overall, the movie and it and it just does the same sort of weird stuff that all the teeny bopper movies do that generally irritate me anyway. And so uh, there, there's part of that where it's you know you can be different but not too different, and they resolve it by making you a little less different. But that's yeah. More, there's a little bit of a Breakfast Club happening there. Yeah, and so I don't I don't like that, and I don't appreciate that. But I don't think it's all that well. I don't think the jokes are all that great. I don't think it's uh, it's got a set of characters. I mean, we're not supposed to identify with Cher very much. Uh, Jane Austen's Emma character, Austen famously said, I'm writing a character that really no one likes but me, and I know that. And definitely there's some of that going for, on with Cher. For, for those of our, our listeners who are not aware, uh, to clue you into what Dustin just said, uh, Heckerling intentionally um, did kind of do – she was basically told she could do whatever she wanted with plot structure and stuff on this film. So she did intentionally uh, bring in Jane Austen's Emma as much as she could. 
which yeah. uh, I, I'm not familiar with the original work, but uh, you you kind of are. And you a said, little bit, and, and Austin doesn't turn my crank to start with, so I'm, I'm biased, to, you know, con to start with, I suppose. Yeah. Because um, I just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a guy that does not, that likes Victorian fiction, but not so much Jane Austen, and, uh, which is pretty, I guess, stereotypical for a dude, but um, nonetheless. You should um, be ashamed of yourself. I've really, well, Brownless Horizons. I, well, I just don't like it. It's just never fun. I don't care about these drawing room romances. Well, and that's, I, I think really what we're touching on right here, um, as we kind of come to a insummation point is, I mean, your issue with Austin probably stems from the fact it's about a bunch of fucking rich people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's always going to be a problem when you're talking about, you know, the drawing room dramas and the, you know, the, the courtly romances and stuff. At the end of the day, it's like, there are people dying in their own shit, like 30 feet from your manor. Uh, and that's, that's always really troubling. And I, I feel like Heckerling does her best to kind of lampshade that in this film. I think there is... I'm going to say no, but more on that and on. Okay, I I think so. And I just, as we're putting a pin in it, well, for now, uh, I, I just want to say I think that is always going to make stories like Emma, like Austin's work, like Clueless, a little hard to penetrate, uh, you know, if you're not a rich person. Uh, in Victorian England, only rich people were reading novels. So it's, uh, you know, a little bit understandable why they were popular. I, I think uh, movies as the... The culture of the masses, um, it, it's kind of hard to uh, uh, to not be annoyed by unrepentantly rich people. Um, and I, I guess we'll probably talk about that more as we go into analysis. Yeah, that, that's probably going to come up a little bit. Now, as you have noticed, dear listener, as uh, we have had some staff changes here at the Good Trash Media Network, um, this has become mostly me and Dalton on the show, although we're going to see Alex again here and now uh, from uh, you know talking about uh, various movies from time to time on the show and we'll have other guest hosts. But we are um, we're, we're orienting the, the whole format of the show really around conversation because that's really what we want to have. Is we want to be able to talk to each other about these movies and we we want to be able to talk to you. And one of the ways that we do that is that we do have a social media presence. And so we want you to be part of that conversation. Dalton, can you tell them how they can be part of the conversation well, on social I, media? Well, I certainly can, Dustin. Um, you can find the Good Trash <laughs> Media Network because, again, uh, we are just one show at the moment. Um, we we uh, There are lots of shows in the catalog, but uh, regularly we are only producing the Good Trash Honor cast for the time being. But there is a lot of content that we have created that still exists. Uh, and if you want to talk to us about any of that, uh, whether it's the new episodes of the Good Trash Honorcast you're hearing, whether it's you know uh, episodes from the back catalog of Back to the Movies uh, or the People's History of Film or the Film Syllabus, um, you can engage with us on any of that stuff um, on Facebook.com forward slash GTM or on Twitter at good underscore trash. Um, those are great places to let us know what you're thinking about what we're doing. Um, again, if you just want to talk about the movies we're doing here at Good Trash Honorcast, or if you want to ask uh, about um, you know previous episodes of other shows, uh, if you can inquire about whether or not some shows that are on break are coming back, we don't have answers for you on some of those. Um, but uh, you know, do that. Uh, engage with us because we like to hear what you have to say. Other than that, you can also, other than the Facebook and the Twitter, which you're all obviously aware of, um, you can continue to uh, support us over on iTunes. If you want to rate, review, and subscribe to the show if you're not already, that is infinitely helpful to us, and we do greatly appreciate it. Uh, ditto for any of the other shows that we produce. And finally, um, 
if this is worth something to you, I don't want to put a dollar amount on it. That's not what I'm about. That's not who I am. That's not who Dustin is. Um, but if you want to put a dollar amount uh, uh, to it, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to double check real quick. I couldn't remember. Um, you, you can do that. If you want to give some money, you can. There's some rewards for you. Um, mostly what you do is help us pay our hosting fees. I'm not, I'm not going to bullshit you. Yes, uh, there are some goals on there that we would still like to achieve at some point. But by and large, you help us pay our hosting fees. Every once in a while, we get to buy some new mics. Like these mics we're talking on right now. Uh, these are fairly new. Uh, they're, I, th- I think they sound pretty nice. I like them. Uh, and that was ba- bought with uh, Patreon money. Uh, we're, we're not really doing ads anymore. Um, we were doing that for a little bit. Um, honestly, it was more work than we wanted to put into uh, helping other people sell their shit. Um, don't get me wrong. I'll still sell other people's shit. Uh, but it was a lot of work uh, to, to write those, uh, you know, to read that copy. And we weren't really seeing a return on it. So we're not doing that anymore. If you want to give us money, you can. Uh, if you just want to listen, you can do that too. Um, but if, again, if you want to do that, that's patreon.com forward slash GTM. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton. Hey, Dalton, guess what? Well, huh? It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> that's right, dear listener, and this week's game is our favorite teenage romantic comedies. Uh, that's right, favorite teenage romantic comedies brought to you by... Clueless, clueless. It's only weird to be in two teenage romantic comedies uh, when you turn 30. Uh, something like that. Also, um, we'll probably have selections with less incest. But moving, well, it's not really incest. It's not I know, incest. I know, but it's still weird. It's a little weird. It's a lot weird. It's it's pretty weird. It's, yeah, it, it's got a weirdness. Um, nonetheless, uh, we're going, so again, Miles Boyles, we told you this is going to happen <laughs> once we started getting into our gameplay. Dalton, what are your selections for your favorite teenage romantic comedies i was trying to think of one that had more incest and i couldn't think of any so just as a <laughs> joke um i i got nothing for you though uh, i'm gonna start off with the what i think is a real 90s classic uh that i don't know if people like as much as i know other people like it i don't really know like what the following on this film is uh because this one came out a little bit was on cable rotation a little bit closer to me being a teen and that is can't hardly wait from 1998 yeah. uh, which was in real heavy rotation Probably around like oh two and oh three, which was when I saw it a lot. And this movie, it's it's a house party movie, which are some of my favorite teen movies. Um, but just has an unbelievable cast, uh, just an, a ridiculous. I'm just going to rattle off some names: Jennifer Love Hewitt, Ethan Embry, Seth Green, Lauren Ambrose, uh, Peter Fascinelli, uh Jamie Presley, Jason Segel, uh, Freddie Rodriguez, Selma Blair, Donald Faison again, Clea Duvall, Sarah Rue, and that's, I mean, those, some of those again are cameos and brief appearances, um, but holy shit, what a cast, um, uh, of people, and again, some of those names are going to mean stuff to you, I'm not going to go through there and tell you why you would know those people, but you know all those people, from things like Six Feet Under, and, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, bringing it up again, um, yeah, what a great cast, um, Holy shit. Uh, it, it's just, it's not, I always enjoy a movie, uh, much like uh, Days to Confused. I, I enjoy movies where they just grabbed all of the actors between 17 and 22 that were working, uh, because all of those uh, movies are going to have at least two or three people go on to be fairly, like, uh, talented or, or and or successful. Uh, and I just like stuff like that. Kate Harley Waite just got a, a really good sense of humor about itself. It kind of knows what it is. Um I've been wanting to rewatch it for a while, actually. Um, so it, it is one of my favorites. Uh, I think uh, there is a, a really great um, 
section of the film where Seth Green and Lauren Ambrose are locked in a bathroom together. <laughs> that is it's just one of my favorite things ever. Uh, it's it's really sweet, and um, it's just about people who were friends that kind of fell apart in high school, kind of reconnecting. Um, now it's gross because they have sex. It's gross when you say reconnecting when they have sex. Um, <laughs> that's weird. Uh, but it's it's great. I like the movie a lot. Um, it does kind of fall into these weird perils of I can't I'm trying to remember how well it dodges this bullet because the whole thing is that Ethan Embry is in love with this girl that he has never talked to uh, as you know many 17 year old boys uh, have uh, found themselves uh, once or twice in their lives um, I mean, that's the whole plot of the movie is he's trying to give Jennifer Love Hewitt right and she literally has never talked he's never had a conversation with her and I can't remember if the movie ends up with her being like I, what what do you want from me, dumbass? Like, I don't know you. I, I feel like that's what happens, but I can't remember because it has been a while. I don't either. Watching. I don't. I think he does end up with her, but it's through some like um, some actual getting to know each other stuff. Uh, I can't remember though. So we're gonna go ahead and move past the whether or not that movie is troubling, uh, and go forward to um, a more recent one that I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of, uh, and that is Juno. Uh, Jason Reitman and Diablo, Diablo Cody. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great film. Uh, there's a reason uh, it got nominated for as many Academy Awards as it did. Um, not that that's always a great barometer for quality, but in this case, it is. Um, it, it's a film that I watched in high school. Um, I was a, right around the age of the characters when this movie came out, and it, it really meant a lot to me at the time. Uh, I saw it in theaters with the, the woman that I, I was with at the time, and um, I had a great time. Uh, I really love this movie. Um, a lot. Uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, I've seen it probably three or four times. I haven't watched it probably since I was 21. Um, so it's been a while and I've been wanting to go check it out again, but it, it, it will always hold a soft spot in my heart. Um, because one of my generation's great teen movies, uh, is a great movie and that's always nice. Uh, you know, my, my mom's generation has a fast times at Ridgemont high, which is a great movie. Um, I'm not going to make bones about it. It is a great film. And it's also their great teen movie. Um, Gen Xers don't have that. Uh, I'm sorry. None of their the great teen movies of the 90s are great movies. Uh, American Pie is not a great movie. No. It's fun. I, I, think, it's, I think it's actually quite a bit of fun. It, it's not a great movie, though. And, the, you know, the, sorry, uh, Gen X, everything you made sucks. Uh, oh, I did that, didn't I? Hey, by the way. I fucking shots fired across your bow. You know who was making movies in the 90s? Yeah, I know. People of, in their 40s. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm being sassy. Um, yes, all the movies I like uh, as a teenager were made by people that are like 10, 15 years older than me. Than me. I know. I got it. You're I welcome. Know. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> yes, I know the Beastie Boys are Gen X. I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm being sassy for no reason. Moving on. Uh, a film uh, based on a book that was much beloved when I was in high school that I never got around to reading, but I really liked the movie Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, a little bit later, um, I was in college when I saw this one. I, li- I like Perks quite a bit, um, if only because it introduced me to, um, oh my god, I forgot his name, Ezra Miller. There we go. I actually saw Perks before I got around to We Need to Talk About Kevin, which was a lot of people's introduction to Ezra Miller. Uh, watch Perks first and then go watch We Need to Talk About Kevin, because that really, that'll fuck with you. Uh, but it's got a great uh, early post-Harry uh, Potter performance from Emma Watson. Uh, it's got Logan Lerman, who is one of my my, my favorite sweet baby boys uh, work. And he's just been in so many great movies. I'm going to rattle off some of the things he's been in. Uh, Fury. Um, okay, that's one. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's had some this. He was in The Three Musketeers and The Butterfly Effect. Yeah, he's had some some bad ones. Mostly I was thinking about Fury and 310 to Yuma. And I really like him in both of those movies. Um, 
He's he's one of those actors that I've enjoyed watching grow up. He was in a movie last year called Indignation that I heard some really good things about that I didn't catch up with. I just I like the cast of this movie a whole lot. I like what it says about being a teenager and how that feels. Um, th- this kind of simultaneously fleeting and yet um, very concrete feeling uh, of teenhood and the, the simultaneous recognition of no one knows what you are going through and at the same time, yes, actually every adult in your life knows exactly what you're going through uh, but with variations on a theme. And I, I find that nice. I find that I like the teen movie that tr- gets to do it both ways because I think a lot of teen films try to pick one or the other is the teens are full of shit, everybody knows what they're going through, or the adults are full of shit, and nobody knows what the teen is going through. And I like movies that kind of thread that needle and really successfully say, it's both. It's both and also more. Uh, and, and I like anything that, um, especially in teen movies, but really anything. I like anything that kind of is able to walk that line and, and not um, you know fall victim to that kind of dualistic either or thinking i I appreciate that um those were the ones that i wanted to mention there's a couple more that come to mind but those were the the three that uh, i really wanted to talk about awesome well thank you for that mr dalton stewart i want to begin with my one of my favorite uh teen romance films as a preteen romance film. Uh, so i'm going to bend the rules just a little bit and and mention my girl Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's the one that a lot of people like. It ends sadly, but um, still, uh, nonetheless, um, when Nick Cage screams about the bees at the end. But um, oh, was that <laughs> shut the fuck up? <laughs> there's a there's a mashup to be made there somewhere. Get out of here. That's 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 uh, sacrilegious for me to even say. Um, but that that's one I like a lot, and I have great appreciation for from the '80s. Um, I love some kind of wonderful. Um, Eric Stoltz, Molly Ringwald. She's a drummer. He's a, kind of a greaser kid, and uh, you know it, it, it's not so much class oriented. It's it's so much just you know social groups and getting noticed, and that awkward moment where you like a girl and she doesn't know you exist, and how do you work that whole thing out and uh, sort of find your way uh, there into finding love as a teenager? I I think that's wonderful and something I very much enjoy. Uh, just to prove that I do not have quite the um, heart of stone and ice that I sometimes uh, um, project as my persona here. Here at the Good Trash Genre cast and various other places at Good Trash Media. I really like A Walk to Remember with uh, Mandy Moore. I know it's schmaltzy. I know it's like just all about hitting you in the feels. But I really, really Aww. like that movie. And I just Aww. find it to be very sweet. Uh, hey, let's do a fun game real quick. What's that? Uh, what's your favorite John Hughes movie? My favorite John... Since you brought it. I mean, yes, that, that one's not a... But, but you brought up Molly. So. Yeah, I did bring up Molly. I, I'm probably going to go with The Breakfast Club if I was just pressed to pick one. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's got problems, but I like it. Yeah, I think I would go with there, too. I really like Pretty in Pink, though. I like Pretty in Pink a lot. I like, I like Pretty Pretty Pink Candles, too. I don't really go for Sixteen Candles anymore. Uh, there's just too much weird about that movie. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I say that... Uh, really like Pretty in Pink, but uh, for personal reasons, I'm going to go Ferris Bueller. Oh, I like Ferris Bueller, too. You know what neither one of us said? What's that? Uh, Teen Wolf. No. <laughs> it doesn't count. That's not... He was a producer on that. Ah, uh, fair enough. He didn't direct it. Doesn't count. Uh, okay. It's not part of the, the canon. It's not part of the Hughes canon. <laughs> the Hughes canon. <laughs> it doesn't count. It does not count. Well, you know what neither of us mentioned is a movie we both... Uh, I think you liked a lot. I can't remember. Uh, the Edge of Seventeen, did you catch up with I that? didn't see it. It's great. Um, I can't believe it. Didn't, I just didn't mention it because it's so new. But uh, I just as before we wind down, I, I like to champion that movie as much as I can. Edge of Seventeen from last year was really great. Um, and another film written and directed by a lady. Um, and it's a lot better than Clueless. Um, it, it's says all does all the teen stuff that we've been talking about, like what makes a good teen movie. Does all that stuff, and uh, I really really like it a lot. 
All right. Well, dear listener, I think it's about time for you to get your nostalgia jock strap in place because I think it might be. You don't have to do that. Uh, well, we're going to do some mean things to Clueless, and I got a feeling. So don't, You don't have to. There's no jock straps. Okay. Um, That's gross. It's, it's time to get down to business. right dear listener and that business is as always analysis i really don't i'm still a really troubled with this jockstrap thing i don't i don't care for it i i, I well we're going to kick you in the nostalgia gonads no and, and i don't you, and you might need if it's protective just, armor if it's just a jock there's not jockstrap does not mean cup uh, well it does hold the cup right the the purpose I of the jockstrap so. is the holding of the cup i don't i really don't care for this <laughs> i don't like this at all for a lot of reasons. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of gendering the audience. I well, mean, that, I mean, that's the first, of all, the, first of all, there's that, and then there's the sports, which I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. With sports? Yeah, I don't <laughs> like that at all. I don't care for it. Do you have a note from your teacher that says, um, or your plastic surgeon says, you don't want any balls coming at your face, don't yes, you? Yes, 100%. That's the end of your social life, you know? No, it's, I'll be fine in that regard. <laughs> It'll be all right. That'll be fine. I don't, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> don't care for this at all uh let's do analysis <laughs> let's let's do some analysis let's begin with uh, i can't i the, the one of the dim lights is what you know um dalton talked earlier about how um this is ahead of its time and i'm not quite sure it's as good as it could have been um or as good as it gets to refer to another film to the 90s uh which is about something altogether different but we do have a gay character in justin walker's christian um let's talk a little bit about, re- about representation dalton what do you have to say about that um, I mean, it's still 90s as all get out, right? Yes. Um, the fact that Donald Faison is the one that is aware that uh, Christian is gay and, and doesn't, like, act grossed out about it, he's he's more indignant that they have no idea is his reaction. Right. Also, the Friends of Dorothy reference is just great. Yeah, um, it's pretty funny. That's great. That's really spot on. Uh, it's just, that's, a, that's a nugget that really Donald Faison's character would have no idea. There's no, you're, there's no way a black guy that goes to, or really any guy that goes to a school in Beverly Hills that isn't gay is going to get that reference, but especially not a very macho um, uh, black uh, character should not know that reference. It's fucking great, though. I don't care. I like it anyway, um, just for that alone. But but the fact that he's, I don't know, there's there's a very quick, like, accepting of it that I I've, I just find nice, that you don't see in a lot of movies from 1995. You, you just don't. Um Especially not uh, teen comedies. Um, and I think that's nice. I mean, when you make a teen comedy, you're making a movie for all teenagers. Guess what? That means you're making a movie for gay teenagers as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not great um, just in terms of it, it very quickly goes away. Uh, she accepts that they're not going to have an intimate relationship and they become friends. And that's very nice. Um, they don't really do anything else. I mean, Christian's pretty character is pretty much done at that point. Uh, but that's really how a lot of the male characters in this movie function, uh, which, in fairness, is how um, female characters function in more male-centric teen movies. Um, once we know the lead's not going to sleep with them, then their use, uh, their their miles are spent, um, which is more of a, an issue with uh, the way we structure movies than anything else. Uh, but that, that's all that I wanted to touch on with, with Christian representation. Again, it's not great. Uh, I think the film does a much better job of 
uh, of racial representation, um, although there is uh, an Asian character that just kind of pops in about three times, and that's it. So, But the fact that um, the central click of the film is not just white kids in Beverly Hills is nice. Yeah, uh, I guess the thing that I, I, I like and you know slash don't like, mm-hmm. I guess I just want to identify, is, is the way that they go ahead and telegraph Christian's gayness. Uh, which With is the Tony int- Curtis thing? Well, before even that, I mean, yes, he does like Tony Curtis. But um, even before that, when uh, she is uh, get, sending herself uh, gifts in uh, um, you know flowers and chocolates and that kind of thing to draw his attention, he is um, busy and distracted reading a William S. Burroughs novel, uh, Junkie. Now, yeah. it could now this is where it's okay because obviously you have to have sort of eyes to see to know what's going on. With you have all- to know who William S. Burroughs is, right? Um, and it could have been more on the nose because he has another novel from right around the same time titled Queer. And uh, had he been reading that, I think it would have been too much of a red flag or too much of a you know a signaling what's going to happen here in a moment. So that was that was okay. Uh, she co- when he calls her from the art gallery the day after uh, their first date, which she was very surprised because he's not like a normal guy. Because um, I expected a normal guy saying, I'm going to call him tomorrow. I mean, so call me sometime next week. And Cher using the word normal there is a 1995 thing that uh, it just made me feel really gross that we're going to move past very quickly. Cause- yeah. So there's that. But also he happens to be at an art gallery looking at a painting in which there are two male figures holding hands. And so there's a little bit of that going on. When they finally gather up for mo- movie night and the love of Tony Curtis comes up. But they're watching Some Like It Hot. Uh, and Spartacus. And Spartacus. Spartacus. Uh, w- one of the gayest movies of the 60s. Oh, my goodness, yes. Now, it's one of those movies that's coded gay. Yes. And so it's coded gay in a way that you don't know that the character's gay. So we have a gay character, which is watching a movie that is famously gay-coded. Um, and, and so it, it, it's a way that it does coding without it being the sort of surreptitious thing. It kind of lampshades the coding. Yeah, yeah, lamp, yeah, exactly. And so that's, 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 that's okay. You know, it's I, not great. It's, it's, it's a dim light. See, I guess for me, uh, I, I forget because I don't remember the things that I was watching in the 90s. I don't remember them being that great about this at all. Yeah. So I think any, anything is good. And again, not even four years later, we have, um, you know, uh, speaking more about things that are quintessentially 1990s, we have Willow Rosenberg on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So yes, the, the same kind of span of time gets a lot better about queer representation very quickly. Um, but I, I think laying any kind of groundwork when, you know, Darman Gregg's one of the most popular shows on television. And again, I'm not to besmirch Darman Gregg. Yes, the lead character of that is gay, and that's important, but he's a punchline. And so is Christian in this movie, a to be bit. fair. But anything that's moving the needle in this time frame coming out of the 80s and the early 90s is probably good. Yeah. That, that's the argument that I'm making. And I think that's fair. It is a moving of the needle, but it, it's still not without its problems. Yes, because, uh, I mean, trust me, I'm not one of those people that thinks all representation is good representation. That's yes. de- and that's not fair to think that. But I, I, do, I do believe to some extent that um, any movement of the needle is, is in some regard positive. When we're talking about social uh, stigmas and um, trying to normalize things that should have normalized things that should have been normalized all along. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so now the other thing that I really, really want to talk about, I have two more real sort of, sort of semi-subjects I want to address. Uh-huh. Um, class. Yeah, the class is, let's, let's talk about the thing I'm much more comfortable with, because uh, two straight white men uh, who are cisgender talking about uh, representation yeah. is always going to be a little bit of a thorny subject for us to get into. Um, let's talk about class, because I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable talking about it, frankly. Um, holy shit. Um, 
so there, it's 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 great and terrible in equal measure at times. Um, there, there was this meme going around fairly recently, you know, with the discussion of uh, the refugee crisis uh, that's going on right now yeah. uh, globally. Um, there was a lot of uh, usage of Cher's monologue from the debate class about the Hadian refugees, I think is what she says. I believe she does I say Hadian. Ha- I believe Hadian. Here's a great thing. Alicia Silverstone just didn't know how to say Haitian. Really? And Heckerling told nobody to correct her. Oh, my God. She was like, she, she heard her say it, and she was like, I love this for Cher. Do not, no one correct her. So, I think, which I think is just <sighs> a, an adorable story. She's a 17-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 no, that's not that weird that it she... It could w- be pronounced like that. Yeah. yeah, it's, word, phonetically, it looks like that might be, it could be pronounced that's that That's a possibility. Way. Yeah, so it, I, I think it's just a cute story. Yeah. But there was this, this, um, this usage, uh, this memification of that, uh, that section of the film to basically be like, even Cher knew, like, we we should welcome in refugees. Basically, was the the crux of the argument, uh, which I think is sweet, um, and I think share. But wouldn't she assign the topic by Fasini? Well, yeah. I mean, yes. And there and therein lies the problem. <laughs> um, oh, good old Fasini. I, uh, I love him it's so. It's inconceivable much. that he'd be uh, in this movie. Shut your mouth. <laughs> um, it's just. It, much like what we were talking about with representation, this this film is simultaneously like doing some kind of interesting things by pointing out like just how rich these people are and just how untapped in they are. Like the, the shares uh, opening monologue about I'm you know I'm a normal teenage girl like get ready the same as and then has her computer uh, outfit picker outer which is adorable um, is a very cute little thing. I, I struggle with this and I've, I've read some people say that the film does a really good job. Of wrestling with this issue of class, um, and, and I, I find the argument compelling. Um, I don't, I don't know how much I agree with it though, because I do think at the end of the day, they stay rich. They don't learn a lesson about how terrible it is to be rich. Um, I don't know, Dustin. You, you, I think you probably have thoughts on this. I'm still wrestling with it. So here, here's my problem with the movie, which is um, what I call the Titanic problem. Um, which is uh, a similar trope played out in the film Titanic, where um, you know Rose meets uh, young Leonardo DiCaprio, who is lower class, and she sort of like finds her soul and joy and happiness and all that kind of stuff. Most typified in that great dancing scene in Down Below, uh, there where uh, basically the lower classes are used as a foil for um, the upper classes to find something earthier and something more lived in and uh, something uh, that's uh, more. Well, things are earthier. We didn't used to be able to afford floors yeah well yeah we have true that but now it doesn't quite work that way with ty's character because she doesn't like uh start slumming it for a while to find her soul what what she does instead is she takes on ty as a project and through her attempt to make ty better which i'm not sure you can objectively say happens no she somehow finds her soul so i'm gonna go ahead and jump in real quick just to say i don't think I mean, we are given reason to believe that everybody that goes to the school is rich. Yeah. Uh, just because uh, Ty dresses a certain way and, and, and likes the chronic doesn't mean she's not rich. Uh, ditto for Brecken Meyer's character, um, whose name, the skateboarder, whose name I can't remember. Um, I, the burnouts, like, we're, we're given reason to believe that everybody that goes to the school is rich uh, because it's in Beverly Hills. So I just want to throw that out there real quick that. Uh, we're starting with a character that has an affectation of not being wealthy, right? Right. If we were to assume that Ty's family is wealthy, which 
I, again, I don't, I don't really feel like the film tells us one way or the other. Well, um, there's a lot of people who live in Beverly Hills, and it does, it is uh, more economically diverse as an area. Okay, you know, because I mean, there are the people who work for the people that we know of in those areas. Uh, that's that's fair. I just assume they all uh, commuted from the valley. Uh, as many of them did. There you go. And again, the parties were in the valley. That's so, true. That is true. And the skater does invite them to the party that is in the valley. So they're okay. I, I will concede that there might be some more um, socioeconomic diversity in the school than uh, I had initially believed. And again, she's sort of again coded in a way that she's less wealthy, and mm-hmm. she's basically her her poverty um, and you know that personhood that identification there is used as a way for. Um, share to find herself that in, in some ways it does the same thing that the magic negro does uh you know um sort of that i'm making a thinking face listener but, but, and if she, you are too that's okay that she is used in a way just to help the um, white you know uh, affluent uh, find themselves see i i, I think why it works is share realizes she can't run around fixing other people that's not um a substitute for working on herself um, where she does end up finding um, solace and do, trying to do good deeds is not trying to fix other people to elevate and benefit herself. It, it does when she starts working a charity drive and stuff for the the um, the non-specific disaster that occurs. The Pismo Beach disaster, yeah, whatever uh, that is. Yeah, exactly for the the Pismo Beach disaster. It does come purely from a place of wanting to be a better person, right? Wanting to be a less shallow person, wanting to think about somebody other than herself, which is the problem with the setting up with Miss Skites and um um the bad guy from Princess the Bride. Uh, the Princess Bride. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm bad at words right now. Um setting them up purely serves Cher's need to raise her grade, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, elevating uh, Brittany Murphy's character, Ty, purely serves to make her feel better. Impress right. her stepbrother, ex-stepbrother. Exactly. exactly. All of those things are just so she can feel better about herself, whereas I think she does have some character growth is that she starts working, uh, takes the lead on this charity drive for the Pismo Beach disaster um, for no reason other than it seems like the right thing to do. And I think that that is what's interesting about Cher as a character is that there is some real character growth there, uh, understanding that you, it's really easy to pretend to be a thoughtful person. It's a lot harder um, to actually do that. Here is the thing in my third area of um, with the Pismo Beach disaster relief. Okay. Is the re- what motivates her to do that is that she has an argument with Ty because basically it turns out they both like the same boy and she's trying to sort of dissuade her, her former stepbrother. Her former stepbrother. Um, and, wh- and, you know, it's Paul Rudd. It's Paul Rudd. I get it. Yeah, he's cute. I mean, fine. But um, so in that uh, opportunity trying to dissuade, uh, there's a way in which she sort of creates a monster of Ty that Ty becomes a little bit more of that Valley Girl mm-hmm. version of vapidness, um, Beverly Hills version Valley Girl um, that is uh, sort of vapid. And uh, that that's a problem. And she feels so bad. And so she needs to feel better about herself. So she throws herself into this uh, sort of volunteer work, which is a real problem that did raise its head in the 90s, in which people began to be involved in causes. Not so much, I mean, I think in in a sort of residual way to help with the issue. But the real reason is volunteering makes me feel good. I don't care how you feel. I want people to starve less. I want people to have homes. And how you feel in accomplishing that, that's great. I mean, it's its fine that someone feels good for doing that. It's but good. that's I mean, not a reason. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know that it comes across as the reason. And even if it is, 
the reason I think there definitely is by the end of the film there is uh, a real appreciation for the doing good for its own sake for no other reason than doing a good thing is good uh, and, and I think there's something to that I also think what you speak to um, comes back to Paul Rudd's girlfriend early in the film uh, is this this woke college girl that he's seeing who also it turns out is kind of shitty. Yeah, uh, we don't get a lot of that. Um, I, I honestly could have used more of it. Yeah, that'd be um, great. I, I could have honestly used more of you know, hey, if you're you know not as rich as Cher and think you're so much better than her, no, people are terrible regardless of how much money they have. Like it's just easier to see that rich people are terrible because you don't have those things that they have. Um, and, and seeing the, the the woke college girl um, misquote Hamlet is is nice. Um, and that's all, really all we get of it. Um, but she is shallow in a lot of the same ways that all these people in Cher's life are kind of shallow. And I think that kind of lam- – I God, lampshade again. I don't know what's going on with me in that today. I think that does kind of highlight what we're talking about here is th- this idea of doing things because it makes you feel good, not because it's the right thing to do. Right. Um, and that, that gets into the, this area of you know whether or not motive matters when you're talking about you know ethics, whether or not it's the end result or the motivation for the end result. That's a, a conversation that's neither here nor there for right now, um, other than uh, where it regards to Cher and her her character arc. Um, so again, I just wanted to bring that aspect up because I think it kind of speaks to this this thing that you and I are both are kind of on. I, I don't know. I think I don't know that we're totally on opposite ends of it. I don't I think, think so. I think we're kind of parsing through and trying to figure out exactly what it is that works and doesn't work about that segment of the film. Right. Right. Well, I just, uh, I think there is a, a real possible negative effect when, um, we are sort of working towards the, uh, the way in which the privileged are able to feel good about themselves through their volunteerism, that you are able to create situations in which you will guarantee that good feeling and then therefore create a steady stream of volunteers to do that sort of thing. But the things that they do may have the initial aesthetic look of doing more good than rather things that really do long-term systemic good. And that's fair. And that and that and that's where I, I find you know, the whole volunteerism and those kind yeah. of things can can become problematic. And I guess we're getting into an issue that's, you know, it's really not aiming It's broader Hacker. than the yeah, film. It's yeah, it's exactly broader in the film precisely it's not clueless's responsibility to um show that Cher is engaging in you know volunteer work that's actually going to have a lasting impact it's showing that she's doing volunteer work period right, right. it's much more what matters for the, the purposes of clueless and let's talk about the last thing the thing that i'm going to title the thing it's a general problem i have is why teenage movies are terrible um and that is after we just and it's good that this is coming up right after we did just extol the virtues of quite a few of them. Yes. Um, insofar as when they are about the differentiation between different classes slash groups slash cliques, you know, the, all that sort of stuff that happens in the Teeny Bopper well, film. One that I know we both like um, that I want to go at because we didn't mention it earlier is oh, yeah. uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. I love that movie. Which, yeah. again, is also based on classical literature, in that case, Taming of the Shrew. Uh and again, is a teen film about the same, especially clicks more than social stratification, right? Right. So let's go ahead and just mention that that's a film that we like if we're going to, because it's probably going to come up, because that's a really great example of this kind of thing that you're talking about. Right. And, and what, what ends up happening in these movies, and what happens here is that Brecken becomes less of a burnout stoner. And again, I mean, drug addiction, getting freedom from that and all that and getting into, an, yeah. uh, you know, N.A. And it's going, a club. Yeah, it's a club. <laughs> well, we got these steps. There's like uh uh 
Huh. There's 12. Oh, there's 12. How'd you know? Yeah. Uh, there's a great little exchange. Which is, yeah, it's a fun little joke. Um, know, where he's able to sort of move away from a little bit more of the uh, descript um, iconography and identity that is part of that. Although he's still skateboarding, which is good. Also, we see Ty's character, who is a little less uh, preppy dressed, but still much nicer dressed than she was there towards the end of the film. Where we see, uh, we see Alicia Silverstone's character, who is um, still just as dressed to the nines and designer but a little less again uh self-involved in those kind of things Mm -hmm. where basically if we can find some sort of middle ground normal some homogenized normal Mm -hmm. then that's where everybody finds happiness and i say a pox on all your houses be yourself i know that you hate this stuff that makes me crazy well even for Cher, you hate this though right yes i hate it for her yeah be you i mean that's fine be be your privileged advanced you know again you know white upper class self and then leverage that you know within that's that's a thing that can be done where you can be the person who has lots of money and designer everything and then you use that as a platform rather than just sort of you know, again, sort of, uh, you know, putting your light under a bushel, which is, I guess, a version of lampshading, uh, to use Dalton's favorite term of the day, Woo! Uh, to, to, to do that, um, to, to go ahead and be that that true self instead of trying to exteriorize something that's, again, more homogenous. Well, I, I guess I think what we're going to is the, the code of teen films, right? The coding of teen films is that, I, from my point of view, I, I think um, the the... The being yourself, the the self that is being changed, was a in in the the language of teen films, was always uh, an affectation, right? And yeah. I, th- I think you know, it's something that the character has brought on upon themselves because they don't feel like a fully realized person. And I I get because we've talked about this before, and I know yeah. this is something that drives you crazy. Uh, we talked about it way 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 back early in the show when we talked about the faculty. Yes. Uh, speaking of Clay, du- uh, Clay Duvall, who we just mentioned yeah. uh, being can't hardly wait. She's one of the leads of that film, and the film sees her, you know, a little less goth dating the the, the football player, right? Um, I think, and that's you know, classic Breakfast Club syndrome with Ali Sheedy's character. Um, again, you know, Ten Things I Hate About You. We get a little bit of that for both um, Julie Stiles and. Um, Oh, fuck, is that her name? Yeah, Julia Stiles. Okay, yeah. and um, Heath, Heath Ledger. Ledger. They both kind of meet in the middle. I, all of these, these keeps coming up, right, in all these teen films. And I know it's something that drives you insane uh, because of way back when we talked about the faculty. Um, what I think teen films uh, are trying to do, you know, the American teen films are trying to do, is get at something um, about self-expression as a way to hide your inner your inner self i think now again i don't know i'm not trying to make an argument for how well that works i'm just trying to make an argument for why it keeps popping up i i think the purpose of that is is to say that everybody is doing something that's kind of bullshit right everybody especially when you're a teenager everybody is um acting a certain way to try to signal to other people this is who i am this is what i'm about and i want to make sure that anybody that comes within 10 feet of me knows what i'm about and I think these films are saying, well, when you're growing up, you don't really do that. Which is fair. You don't. You don't. Everybody kind of picks a style that um, is, to some extent, homogenized, I would say, um, with shades of what you're about, right? Um, and again, I, I get your issue, and I think your issue is totally valid. Um, you know, at the end of the day, yes, you should be yourself. And I think high school movies are trying to make the argument, well, people are being more themselves now. What they were doing before was, you know, just an affectation, right? 
Well, there's a thing that everyone has that is a true a truism of, of of growing up, and that is the phase, right? In which you go through a phase in yeah. which you're very much into this, and and and, and those phases are processes of self discovery. But what I think the, these films sort of fail. I went through a blazer phase. The blazers, blazer and jeans phase, baby. Uh, well, with with band t-shirts underneath. That's nothing not wrong with that. No, it was terrible. Okay. I should never have done that. I I, I don't judge you. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> but but the point is. That through the course of those phases, you find either an amalgam of those various aspects mm -hmm. that you can integrate, or you find something that really does work for you. And But what the films tend to suggest, that what really works for you is something that makes you a little less unique and identifiable. Now, again, I get the whole um, you know teenage irritation um, from adults who make these teenage movies at the teenager who does want to broadcast to everyone 10 feet away, this is who I am, what I'm about. About. You don't have to ask, right? Those kind of questions. And that is sort of obnoxious. I get that. But at the same time, there is a way in which um, these movies are saying part of growing up is that you have to listen to a little less metal. And I'm like, you know what? You, you, you can be a full-grown man and still really like Megadeth. I don't know why you would, but you might. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. I, I'd say that's fair. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel what you're, you're, you're getting at. Uh, and again, I, I don't know what the right answer here is. Um, because we're, this is the, the real nebulous realm, right, of where we, we talk about where the language of cinema does really brush up against, you know, trying to have real life advice. And at the end of the day, you know, studio films are not going to be great at that kind of thing, especially no. when it comes to nuance. What, what, what are studio films great at? They're great at the, the things that stories have always been good at. Um, the emotion be, machine. The, more, the emotion machine. Uh, the empathy. The, the, the big lessons, like be selfless. Be brave. Uh, don't be a dick. Like the, the big lessons, right? Where they do struggle is the nuance sometimes, especially with studio films. They're, they are going to struggle with the what does being yourself mean? What, what is how, how can you even define something as, as ethereal as that, right? Um, so, I, again, I, I think I'm really enjoying this conversation. Honestly, I could keep going at it, uh, but I think we should probably bring it on into the station really quick. Um, but, but suffice to say, I think it's going to continue to be an issue, issue in teen films. Uh, although that said, uh, Edge of 17, which we've, uh, I've mentioned a couple of times this evening. Um, th I think that one does a really good job of just saying, you know, you can be whoever you are and that's fine. And the, the, the louder volume on who you are right now is just part of being a teenager. Um, and I, I think that's probably more accurate because again, at the end of the day, these films are being made by grownups. And I think that's a big part of the problem sometimes with, uh, having empathy for, uh, teenagers desire to do it all and do it all very loud. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I, I think again, these, these films do bring about these kind of conversations, which is what makes watching them so valuable. But we come now at the point of the show where we must render a verdict about clueless. And I am curious to hear what you have to say, Dalton, um, shell for trash and then your else or your instead. Well, Dustin, I will say this, um, Joel McHale on the television series Community, uh, which is, if you listen to this show a lot, you know it's something that I love quite a bit. I'm a big fan of Dan Harmon and his work. Uh, Dan Harmon once put these words, uh, and his writing staff once put these words in Joel McHale's mouth. For me, religion is like Paul Rudd. I get the appeal, and I would never take it away from anybody, but I'm definitely not going to stand in line for it. That's kind of how I feel about Clueless. Okay. Um, which is <laughs> wow. the, what made me think of that was Paul Rudd, obviously. <laughs> right, right, obviously. That's funny. I, I see the appeal of Clueless. I don't dislike it. I'm not going to take it away from anybody, but I'm not going to stand in line for it because apparently that's a thing now uh, is these 
these quota longs with clueless these these yeah. um, well it's not for you and it's that's okay. for, and that's fine and yeah. that, that's how I feel about it I I don't dislike it I don't think there's anything wrong with it but it's definitely not for me yeah, I, I wouldn't go to that but I am okay with it existing yeah so I I don't want to trash it because that feels needlessly mean I'm not going to recommend uh, putting it on your shelf. But you probably already know whether or not Clueless belongs on your, Clueless belongs on your shelf, right? So that that's where I'm going to take a real soft non-answer on that. Now, what what would I rather you watch? A lot of the movies we've already talked about. I think we've talked about a lot of great teen films uh, throughout this conversation that I really, really think you should check in with. I would also uh, obviously uh, recommend what is probably a stronger film is the... Uh, uh, Amy Heckerling directed Cameron Crowe, written Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is, yeah, one of the great teen films of all fucking time, for obvious reasons. Uh, it does a lot of the same things this, this movie does, and it does a little bit differently. Uh, also, yeah, Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused, which came out very briefly earlier, is a great teen film. I think what works so well about period piece teen films is that you do get a, you're able to make characters, um, kind of stand-ins for other things sometimes. Uh, I think it that 10 to 15 years of removal uh, allows you a little bit more comfortability where it doesn't feel like you're, you're shit-talking anybody, right? Uh, the stoner skate rat um, was, is, is uh, well, was very much a thing of the, the mid-90s uh, and further, trust me. Um, th- that character being riffed on at the time feels much more specific, although the burnout character is um, eternal. Yeah, uh, is the the town fool right? I mean, it is the the, the person who can't handle their shit it, is a forever. They fear this man because he sees farther than they, they, and he will bind, bind them, them with, with ancient, ancient magics. magics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fucking a. It is an eternal character. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. That's probably why those 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 period pieces work a little bit better. Um, I, I don't have anything other than that. Uh, other than the teen films we've already talked about. Um, I know that's kind of a boring answer, listener, and I apologize, but uh, that, that's where I'm at with it. Oh, fair enough, Dalton. I, I'm, I'm the same sort of boat. I am going to go ahead and say trash because I do think it is sort of a low bar in terms of the um, the teenage romance film. I don't think it's actually all that great. Uh, again, it's poorly acted. I think it's poorly written. And uh, and I but, think you're wrong in both of those regards. Yeah, and and so for me, I, I just I think there are better quality. Um, films out there. Uh, an example um, that already mentioned is 10 Things I Hate About You for a Romantic Comedy uh, from roughly the period. And so I think that's... Yeah, it, about five years later. It, it's a better love story. It's better written. It's smarter. And uh, it, I, I, I find it to be generally much more watchable and rewatchable even into my 30s. Um, I also want to recommend another film made the exact same year uh, starring Alicia Silverstone and also Jeremy Sisto. Um, and also featuring one Jeff Gold. Bloom. Um, that is the uh, Dean Koontz adaptation, Hideaway. The Bloom. The, the Bloom is in it. It's so fantastic. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a story in which uh, Jason Sisto murders his uh, mother and sister and then kills himself. Um, and then uh, Jeff Goldblum is in a car accident, both of whom basically die. They have brain death. But the father of Jeremy Sisto's character is a uh, surgeon who is an expert in bringing people back from uh-huh. the brink of death. Uh-huh. Bringing back Sisto and bringing back Goldblum. Sisto brings a demon with him who possesses him. And Jeff Goldblum brings back an angel with him. And they are locked in the Mortal Kombat. He stalks Leisha Silverstone most of the film. This and sounds 
Awesome. Um, I will say the 90s special effects don't hold up great. This sounds so great. It is It is really, really fun. Holy shit, this sounds ridiculous. Yeah, I like it a lot. Now, it, is this actually a good movie, or is it just a movie that you have a lot of fun with? I have a lot of fun with it, and it's, I mean, it's okay. It's it's, it's an okay sort of supernatural thriller. Okay. Um, it, it's definitely got a lower budget. It's definitely got a lower marketing campaign. And again, the sort of 90s CGI that they use for the hellscape and for the heavenscape and for the angel and demon themselves is... Something that definitely shows its age um, right now, but I, I think as a as a thriller, it's very very interesting. I think Visago, the demon who is possessing, that's the sort of persona that Jeremy Sisto adopts. Uh, through I the just like Jeremy film. Sisto a lot. And he's he's really. I'd forgotten. Good. I, I don't think I've seen him in something in quite a while. I really like him. He makes a lot of great use of the bass timbre in his voice mm-hmm. and uh, to make himself uh, threatening and uh, full of menace. And I think he's, he's very well done. Alicia Silverstone's character is a much more typical, you're, you're, you know, you're just trying to hold me back, mom and dad, uh, kind of teenage girl who mm-hmm. loves her parents but also wants freedom and is sort of in that struggle. And again, her performance, I think, is much more solid in that film than it is in uh, Clueless. And, so, and it's also sort of a horror thriller. So it's more my genre anyway. And no, it's fair. It's of the ilk of the time. Well, I want to go ahead and recommend um, a thriller that I watched. And I don't, if I don't talk about it now, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a chance to talk about it because I don't know that we'll ever do it on this show. Um, it's uh, what else did I watch this week that I liked a lot better than Clueless? I watched Bug. Uh, written by Tracy Letts, directed by William Friedkin. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it was kind of William Friedkin's return to form. Um, he then followed that up with another Tracy Letts team up, Killer Joe, a couple years later. Killer Joe I had seen. Bug uh, was Michael Shannon's, one of his breakout roles. Uh, I love Michael Shannon. I love yeah, William Friedkin. I love Tracy Letts. I like Ashley Judd a whole lot, um, although I'm kind of honestly less exposed to a lot of her movies because all the movies that she was in were in the mid-'90s, and I was a kid. I had no interest in some of those things. Um so uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. I really enjoyed Bug a lot. Have you have you seen this, Dustin? I have not seen it. Well, it's set in Oklahoma. Uh, okay. As with most Tracy Letts things, right? Which means I'm you know I'm predisposed to like it a little bit at least. Um, it's a uh, man. Whoo! <laughs> it's a movie. It's uh, it's something else. So the the gist of it is is that um, I, I'm I'm not sure how familiar people are with this movie because it's been quite a few years since it first came out. Um, but uh, Michael Shannon is kind of a drifter and rolls into town and uh, ends up hanging out with Ashley Judd's character, who's a sad lady that works at a bar. And um, it kind of follows their relationship as it progresses. And um, for reasons that are best left unexplained, just for for this, this brief discussion of the film, um, Michael Shannon becomes convinced that the motel room they're staying in is infested with bugs. Okay. Uh, and that those bugs are living under his skin. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, it's something else, man. Uh, I definitely recommend you check it out because uh, I like it quite. I liked it quite a bit. I liked it more than Clueless. Um, hence my recommending it, and I, I watched it literally the day before I watched Clueless. That's funny. Well, well done, sir. I appreciate that very much. And that's really why we do this, guys. We do this for the sake of having the conversation because that's why we do what we do. So we want you to look at Clueless, even though I don't love it, and Dalton likes it a little bit more. And there are people out there who absolutely adore this film. Yeah. And again, I think for me, if you'd asked me before this week, I would have been one of them. 
And Which is interesting to me. So, uh, you know, there, there's definitely a huge nostalgia thing that's there. But for me, I, I've just I've changed. And so I'm just not the person I was uh, when I liked it so much when I did. But that being said, the conversation. You've, you've changed, Dustin. I have. You've changed. Probably not for the best. Um, five years of hanging out with me will do that to you. Yeah, absolutely. But, hey, um, we've got the um, AB9000 right here. We're going to roll out another movie for next time. Let's, let's, oh, let's hear it. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Pluto the Cat, not liking it so much. Okay, so next week, we are not doing Clueless again. We forgot to take that out of the randomizer. (laughs) Is that what just came out? I swear to God. (laughs) Peek behind the curtain, dear listener. (laughs) That's fantastic. There's one. Two. Yeah, no, I I got two in case this happens again. uh, I read one. I don't want to do it. Oh, shit. Son. So Dustin is working on his dissertation for his PhD program right now. Yes. and I finally figured out what I'm talking about. He's going to talk about international action cinema. Yes. Which is convenient because next week we're going to watch John Woo starring Chow Young-Fat, Hard Boiled. Hard Boiled. Yes. Yes. I fucking oh, love this movie. I'm, I'm so, so excited. Happy. I haven't actually seen it. You've never seen it? No. Oh, I not... haven't seen it since I was in high school. So I'm real excited. Nay, nary, not once. So uh, that's what's happening next, dear listener. Take a look at that in preparation. Take a look at Clueless in reaction. But take a look at any movie and have a conversation with somebody you care about. That's what I'm doing. I'm talking to somebody I care about about the movies. And it is so much fun. That's what makes watching the movies worthwhile. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. Production and editing on the Good Trash Genre Cast is by Dustin Sells. Direction by Dalton Stewart and Dustin Sells. Social media is brought to you by Alexander Bohannon and Dalton Stewart. This week's introduction music is, as always, Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovefox. Our outro music this week is Just a Girl by No Doubt. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. <laughs>